Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Before I jump into the message today, I just want to give a little update and give a couple of shout outs where shout outs are due. Um, a lot of you have seen the remodel that took place across the hall. How's that looking? That looks pretty good, huh? Like that room turned out nice. Like, I don't know if you remember this carpet in there, like, you know, popcorn ceiling. It turned out real good. I want to thank Mike Kearns for heading up that project and for driving a lot of that home. Also want to thank John Larson and Don Maggard for doing a lot of the other work in that room. So if you see those guys, you know those guys, thank them for me, okay? We could, you could think, I felt like a couple of you wanted to clap. So let's just let them know. Um, there's also a group of guys who will not go mentioned, uh, you know, cause I don't want them to get busted or whatever. But we came in when it was during lockdown, during shut-in to do some demo work. And I don't want to implicate anyone, uh, by naming names. So thank you for the guys who scraped the ceiling, who pulled up the carpet, saved us thousands of bucks by doing some manual labor on their own. You guys are awesome. But again, I'm going to keep your name off the record officially for this morning. All right. So um, the other couple things we had going on, we had uh, David Strandfan, Bob Black, Tom Moore uh, fixing some stuff on the stage. They put, they cleaned up these kind of front spaces that you see and they shortened the drum cage. I don't know if y'all noticed that right away or if you're just kind of like, oh yeah, like it is shorter. So they trimmed that thing down. It still sounds amazing, but now we can all see baptisms in one room. Praise the Lord. Like we don't have to make half of you move over to the other side and we can see it and it's going to be great. And so thank those guys too, if you know them. Um, mostly what I want to do is I want to take this moment to, to acknowledge that I, in my first year, I'm continuing to reap things that I did not sow. And so there's been a culture of generosity that's been infused in this place. And there's been great wisdom from Kent and from Rob and from the trustee team to to really steward finance as well so that we come into this unique season here, a global pandemic, economic uncertainty, and we step into it really not needing to take any loans, not needing to worry about anything because we were poised so well to begin with that we could do some of these capital projects, some of these investments in the building that were needed and necessary. So we could do some of that stuff because of the wisdom to to be prepared for it on the back end. But also I just want to say, I want to thank your all's continued generosity in this place. And I want to continue to call it forth that because of your faithful giving, uh, we never we never dipped down during the whole, this whole time. We haven't seen a, uh, a pause on giving. We haven't seen it dip at all. And that goes back on you all for your faithful generosity that we haven't had to, we haven't had to cease any partnerships with our missionaries. We were able to continue ministry here. We didn't have to lay anybody off. Like it just, it kept going because you all continued to pour in in your generosity. So thank you all as well. All right. Yeah. Way to start that clap, John. I noticed that and that was you. That's great. Uh, We're going to jump in to Ephesians. We're back in Ephesians today. So Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. It's a very short portion of scripture we're going to read. You'll notice that the heading is is written to children and parents. And all the parents said, get him, pastor. Like, get him. Now, there's plenty of it in here for you too. So let's open up. We're going to read. I'll pray. And then we'll jump right in. Starting in verse 1, chapter 6, the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Jesus, I just ask that you would help us today in this endeavor. God, for the parents in the room who feel exhausted, who feel imperfect, who feel like they're doing a good job, who have a lot of hope and have a lot of joy in their kids, all over the spectrum, Jesus, I uh, just pray for you to infuse this message with hope today. Um, help us to see your truth, your scripture clearly. For the children in the room who have a tough call on their end, Jesus, um, I pray that you would help the children uh, continue to press on following imperfect people that are their parents. Help us to continue to see the need for your gospel, for your goodness, for your grace in every space we step in, Jesus. Pray that you'd help whatever needs to stick off this page in our hearts today stick and whatever needs to fall away would fall away. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So again, we kind of, if you go back two weeks ago, Katie and I preached on message, on, on marriage, preached a message on marriage. And in that, we, we saw that, man, um, as soon as you bring up marriage, as soon as you bring up parenting, it's going to hit in all sorts of different stories in this room. And, and so you're going to have some people who are actively involved in parenting right now, and you're holding your baby right now in this service. You have people that are, that are man, parenting is a bit of a distant memory. Maybe you're actually on the cusp of grandparenting, or maybe you are grandparenting. Maybe, maybe just talking about parenting, you immediately regret coming to this service because you were like, man, you know what? That's a painful topic for me. That's something that hurts for me. That's a regret I have. That's, a mis that's something that I just didn't get to participate in. I wish I knew what that was like. And, and so, again, it's, it's going to fall all over the place. And my encouragement for you today would be to play this text as it lies. And, and what I mean by that is I, I play golf every now and then. I'm not very good at it, but I play from time to time. I'm good enough to hit the ball, like, onto the course most of the time. So you have to play the ball where it lies whether it's in the sand or whether it's in the rough or whether it's in the weeds, like you got to play the ball where it lies. That's the rule in golf. Like I'm not, I'm good enough to get it somewhere close to, but I'm not good enough to actually like, like I, I don't just lose the ball and get to hit again, which sometimes I wish I did, right? Because it's such a terrible spot. It doesn't matter where your story is. doesn't matter where you're at in life. The Bible is profitable for us. It's good for us. It, it brings us teaching. It brings us correction. And so wherever you're hearing it today, let it let it hit you where you're at in life. Don't be wishing you were in a different spot. The Bible is written not so much to a future version of you as much as it's written to who's reading it right now. Amen? So with that, let's, let's jump in. The first thing that I notice about this text is that the opening line, Paul is writing to children. And the assumption is, is that children are present as it's being taught. Children are present while it's being read. He doesn't write, hey, parents, go tell your children to be obedient. He's writing with the audience of children in mind. And so it's a small point, but I, I don't want to move past it without pointing out what we do on Sunday mornings when we pull the kids out of this room is we don't primarily remove the distraction as much as we are primarily putting people of our church, part of our church family, into an age-specific environment where they can hear the gospel, where they can hear the story of Scripture being taught to them, where they can worship and sing and be in community with their church family as well. So I don't want us to continually think of the, the elementary room and the preschool rooms as a means to remove somebody from the service, but it's that our church family is going to be participating in age-appropriate spaces everywhere we go. We don't do childcare. We do children's ministry because they are a part of this church. 
They're not the next generation that we're waiting for someday. They're the next generation actively involved in our church right now. And even as John was talking about a few times of the year, we, we hit these pause buttons and we have all in Sundays where we close the childcare, we close the elementary room, the childcare, I just said what it, isn't, what it isn't called. We close the preschool rooms, we close the elementary rooms, we put everybody in one service so we as a church family, as a body can celebrate, can sit under the teaching of the word together, right? And I know on those mornings it's wiggly and it's, it's loud. And even now, like there's, there's some busyness, there's some movement in the room and it's beautiful, and we need to be reminded of the fact that this, these aren't like sidecar people to our church. They are our church. They are part of us. It's part of our family. And so that's the first little side point. Obviously, we don't conclude all of that value from this one little text, but this is where we get some of it from. The second thing, kids, you probably noticed right away, your call is to obey your parents, to be obedient to mom and dad. And I'm not that far removed from my, my like upper, L, or upper teenage years where I realize how hard this is. It's hard to be obedient to your mom and dad. Amen. Any kids in the room? It's okay. It's safe right now. You can say it. Sometimes it's hard to be obedient. There's a few reasons why I think. I think the first one is because kids are just naturally born with this hypocrisy meter. Uh-oh. I'm going to get the parents right now. I'm in this stage of life right now where, you know, I tell my kids it's a hot summer day. So we cool off the end of the day with a popsicle. And I say, here's your popsicle. And they're like, can I have another popsicle? I say, no, no, no. Too much sugar before bedtime is bad for you. And they're like, but dad, that's your third popsicle. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Like kids learn how to talk. They learn how to walk. And then all of a sudden they start questioning your logic and your reasoning. <laughs> they're just born with this wiring to go, wait, dad, you said too much screen time is bad for you. So when are you going to put your phone down? And I get, the, I get the report of how much screen time I've been using before I, on Sundays, like right before I come up to preach. And I'm like, man, I'm broaching dangerous levels of hypocrisy on my screen time this week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You need to go to sleep. If you don't take a nap, if you don't go to bed on time, you're going to be cranky tomorrow. And they're like, well, then dad, when, so when do you go to bed? Because we go to bed at 830. When do you mom go to bed? They notice it, they see it. And, and one of the most gaping like holes that I see in church culture these days is, is as a student ministry pastor, I saw this a lot where, where parents would bring their troubled kids or parents would bring their kids with a behavior that they didn't love and they'd stick them into youth ministry. And they'd be like, man, if I can just get them around some Christian friends, maybe they'll like catch Christianity, like it's a virus or something. And they'll maybe like get infected with it and then they'll start behaving. And then I'm like, you know, that's great that you're coming to bringing your kids. I think the church is a wonderful place for our kids to be. I wish I spent more time in a church growing up. Like uh, there's things that get infused and, and hardwired. The word gets tucked into our kids' heart as they spend time in church. But when you have parents that I say, man, that's great that you're bringing your kids to church. Do you want to come on a Sunday morning? We have services at 9 and 1045. And they go, oh, that's, that's not so good for like, you know, it's our brunch time as a family, the only time we really get to go to brunch or like whatever the excuse is and they can't make it. And, and the danger in pushing a value on your kids that you don't personally intrinsically value yourself is you're going to show kids as they get this Christian teaching that, that there's all these rules that they need to adhere to and they're going to have nobody modeling in their life how those rules actually get lived in and played out in a relationship with Jesus. They're going to get all the moralism of Christianity, but they're not going to be looking up to people who they're meant to be looking up to, their mom and their dad, where they're going, oh my gosh, that, that's how it gets lived out. 
That's how grace gets imperfectly walked in as we fall farther and farther and farther and deeper and deeper and deeper with Jesus. And so you either create that or, or you'll just drive a kid to rebellion because they'll see what Christianity looks like. They'll see what it's supposed to be like. And then they will notice that their parents are detached from it because they have a hypocrisy meter that we get to, that they're just like infused with. And so they'll watch you live a certain life while you ask them to live a certain life. And, and I've watched it time and time again where these kids, they just drive off into rebellion as their parents try and put this hyper moralism on them while they themselves aren't giving themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. So it's hard to be obey your parents because there's, there's spots in their behavior that aren't consistent with who they're asking you to be, which is called being hypocritical. It's also hard because kids, you don't, you don't value, you aren't looking at life through the lens at which your parents are looking at your life through. So this is called looking like through a vantage point. If you don't know what a vantage point is, let me just explain it for the younger people in the room. Like I, I recently got up on my roof because we were painting. We were painting the outside of my house and I got up on my roof and I realized when I'm up there, like the view of the mountains is actually pretty cool. I'm like, man, if I could just like add another story to my house and I'd have this sweet view of Long's Peak, right? Like it's just right there and it's amazing. And the truth is, is that that view's always existed at my house. I just can't see it until I change my situation, until I change my environment, until I change my vantage point. That view still exists when I'm standing on the ground. I just can't see it. And so it is for some of you 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds that are looking at the things in your life that your parents are trying to call forth in you and you're questioning them and you're doubting them because you do not have the capacity to see your life through the same lens and through the same values that they're looking at your life. Like, so they're looking at your life and they can see the good things that God has created in you and they can see, they, they can see where you could be and they, can, they have a vantage point that you don't fully grasp because you're 10 I've seen more, like I know, I feel so good to be 30 now in this moment where I'm just like, I'm 30, you're eight. You don't know what this means. And so like, I think of a lot of the times when I fought with my parents, especially as a 17, 18, 19 year old, that was kind of a tougher season for me with my parents. Like there was just a lot of tension. I know that's the case for a lot of people. They reach this age and they're about ready to kind of move out of their house and it's tense and it's rough because your parents are calling you to do things that you don't see the value in doing. And the classic example for me would be parent-teacher conferences. Every year I heard the same thing at parent-teacher conferences from kindergarten all the way up to 11th grade when my parents just stopped trying. It was like, well, Austin's great. He's fun. He's pleasant. Seems to like get along with people pretty well, but he just doesn't try as hard as he could in school. I was like, yep, yeah, like mom and dad, you're right. I don't try as hard as I could in school. Like I, I have way too much fun with my friends to be trying so hard in school. Now, I'm not saying that's the right thing. I'm just saying what was like, I just didn't grasp the value that my parents saw in it or that the teachers saw in me. Do you know what I'm saying? So we have a breakdown sometimes in the way we value things. Like you need to be home at 1030. And, and, and some kids in your mind, you think a curfew is just like this arbitrary time that you need to be home. And maybe your parents think like the boogeyman comes out after 1030 or like what, you know, they think that's when all the bad people come out of their houses is at 1030 at night. And that's why you need to be home. And, and then I remember one time I was supposed to be home at 1030. My buddy Greg was going to be bringing me home and it was a snowy night. We agreed on the curfew time. We agreed, my mom and I, on what time I would be home. And 11 o'clock, 11.15 rolls around. And finally we come doing donuts, literally into my driveway. And we weren't late because we were doing it. Like it was a snowy night. What else are we supposed to do? We were spinning donuts, cookies in every parking lot, every street corner that we could find. <laughs> I didn't value the fact that my mom and every parent 
is going to get this right now, that she couldn't rest, she couldn't relax on a snowy night until she knew that her baby was home safe. Amen. And I didn't value it. So it's not just some arbitrary time. You get mad because your parents won't let you be friends with this person you really want to be friends with. You, don't, you can't see the value that they see in surrounding yourself with the right people to grow up into the person that they know you're supposed to be. So the last reason why I think obedience to our parents can be difficult. You have hypocrisy, you have a different value system, you have a different perspective on things, but you also like, we're all born into sin. Amen? Amen. Moms and dads in the room, come on, don't like neglect this moment. Like we're all born into sin. And, and because we were brought forth in iniquity, because we were conceived in sin, one of the things that primarily creates in us is a distaste or a disdain for rules. And we have this kind of backwards lens looking at rules where we, we think that the rules that God has created are designed to oppress us or they're, decide to, they're, they're, they're meant to keep us in this box or to keep us from doing these things. They're to stifle our freedom and to keep us pushed down. We, that's how we look at rules. That's the very first instance of sin in the garden. I was like, was that really the rule not to eat of? Ah, yeah, I don't know if God said that, right? Comes down to this rules that we have this misunderstanding that God's rules are actually designed to lead us towards the fullest possible life, not to stifle us, but to bring us up to the, the fullest, most rich, most beautiful person that we could be. That's what rules are for. And parents, our role then becomes to take the rules that are in this book and to best apply them to our household as we possibly can. So you got to be careful. They don't just stuff a bunch of extra rules on there that they become so crazy. But we got to just say, okay, this is what this book says. This is the way our family's going to go. And you create these boundaries. And like David says, the boundaries, the law has fallen for me in pleasant places. And I would just encourage you, if, if you're a parent, if you have kids who can kind of open the Bible up and read a little bit with you, if you're a grandparent, please don't miss this moment. If you're a grandparent, like, um, we, we maybe heard the proverb, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Have you heard that before? Don't just think of that as a financial item, a financial inheritance. Are you, grandma, are you, grandpa, spending, maybe you have a day a week, maybe you have a couple hours here and there. It's not just time that you're trying to get through until, until your kids come back and rescue you, right? That's a time where you can invest spiritually in something that will last generations? Are you taking time to invest in your children, to teach them the rules and the law and the delight that comes from meditating on God's word? I would just encourage you, grandparent, parent, spend some time in Psalm 119 this week. It's this mega psalm and it's the whole thing. It's this beautiful poem, this beautiful acrostic using all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet that all orient themselves and, and, and are pointing us towards the beauty of God's law and the beauty of his word and his precepts and how, how they lead us somewhere. It's a lamp to our feet. And so I just encourage you, have, have a conversation in your house around that psalm sometime this week. If you're a grandparent, you got your kids on Thursday this week, open that up, ask them a question, read it with them. So we have issues being obedient, but kids, here's, here's the point of the message at the first part. You're called to obey, not based on your parents' perfection, but based on God's command to you. And that's frustrating sometimes. The mom and dad are calling a lot of these shots and they're in a lot of these gray areas. Like obviously if mom and dad want to call me to go steal a car, I can go, mom and dad, your authority comes from scripture. 
It's been given to you by the book. And so if you're going to go contrary to the book, that's when I get to go contrary to your authority. That's easy. But a lot of rules that mom and dad give, they take away my cell phone. They tell me I can't date that person. They tell me I'm not going out after 1030 at night. And those are not in the book. It's more gray. But I want you to see that there's, there's, there's value in you honoring your mom and dad. Look at what, what verse 2 and 3 say. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He's referencing, Paul is referencing the Ten Commandments here. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You know, honoring your mom and dad is one of the Ten Commandments. And it's attached to this promise that if you can honor your mom and dad, then it will go better for you. It will go better for you. So maybe you don't understand the curfew. Maybe you don't understand why you can't be friends with that person. But the, the honoring thing to do would just be like, mom, dad, I, I, listen, clearly this is important to you. And I'm just, I'm missing the value of me cleaning my room every day. Like, I actually think it's easier. Like my laundry's all spread out. I can see it better, you know, like, and it's just going to get messy again. So would you just help me see the value in keeping my room clean? Honor your mom and dad. And there's blessing that's promised with that. Amen. You do not obey your mom and dad because they are perfect. You obey them because it's what the Lord has called you to. They, are, they have been given to you to steward in your heart faith as it would grow up. And then you're going to eventually become a follower of Jesus on your own. We all will pray. That's what our prayers as parents should be, is just covering our kids, praying, begging the Lord to awaken their hearts, captivate their attention so that they might grow with him. So let's jump in now and talk about the parents. And all the kids said, amen. I don't know if any kids just said amen. You missed your moment. If you did, you can't go back and say it now. So the first thing that Paul writes to parents is he says, verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now I find this fascinating that the first thing that Paul is going to write to parents is actually to exercise restraint in how you use the authority that God has given you. That's the first thing he's going to say to you. He's going to say, yes, you have authority, but listen, be careful not to provoke your children to anger. Um, we, I don't know if this is just like a me thing. Maybe it's evil in my heart. God's got to keep working on it. But I think like I'm drawn to the topic of disciplining my kids, right? Like I, I remember as we found out we were pregnant with Harper, Katie and I, we jumped into Spiritual Parenting, which is a book that Ms. Michelle Anthony has written. She, she wrote this book, Spiritual Parenting. I would highly encourage it um, if, you're, if you're in parenting in any season. And what I thought the class was going to be, I was like all excited. We showed up and I was like, I'm going to learn how to like discipline my kid into holy behavior. <laughs> like we just, we kind of have this obsession with, with authority and with discipline. And I don't really understand why it's there, but I don't think it's ironic that he says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. The, you know, we all, we all maybe love the verse, like spare the rod, spoil the child. You heard that before? Maybe, maybe your dad said that to you. It's like, listen, son, if I don't do this, if I spare the rod right now, I'll spoil you. I don't want to spoil you. So whack, right? <laughs> Proverbs 13, 24. That's where that comes from. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But listen to the next part of the verse. It's critical. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them, is thoughtful, is considerate, they think it through. It's not some response that just comes right away. So I think it's fascinating that Paul's first encouragement to us fathers specifically, I don't think that's a mistake, that it's written to fathers. There's something about men, when they get this authority, they long to use it. 
He says, exercise restraint in the way you administer that authority. But then he says, but bring them up. And bring them up, I, I had that in bold because that verb is the same verb that's used in 2 Timothy. When Paul is writing to Timothy, the value of scripture, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That word training is the same verb that Paul is using here in Ephesians 6. That we'd be training our kids in righteousness, that the, that, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul is saying, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Nourish them. See to it that they grow. See to it that they're thriving, that they're healthy, that they're moving in the right direction. I love that word, to bring them up. It's so much act, more active and involved than just let them grow. No, no, no. Be hands-on. Be involved in their life, making sure that they're nourished and, and have everything that they need. And he says, to grow a child, most effectively, you need to serve them a two-course meal of discipline and instruction. That's how the rest of the verse ends. Bring them up in discipline and instruction. So I want to talk about both those um, because discipline, I think it's one of the most difficult things as a parent. Honestly, it's, it's sometimes it's one of the most difficult things. Sometimes you're actually disciplining yourself more than you are your kids. Um, like, I, so I want to kind of frame up what discipline should in a healthy context look like. So the first thing is that it's always personal. I have three kids now. And what I'm learning is that like my discipline cannot be mechanical because my kids are not just some problem to solve. Like my discipline needs to be relationally engaged to who my kid is personally. I have watched, I have watched kids that are in my life get thumped on the head for doing something wrong and they sort of just grit their teeth and then they roll out of it like nothing happened. Same kid can get a toy taken away from the rest of the afternoon and absolutely lose it. It's personal. Like you've got to approach it. It's not like there is not just some blanket way of disciplining kids. It's a personal, personal, relational approach. The second thing is that I believe that discipline has to, has to, has to be consistent. The goal, if you think of us as parents ordering our home, prioritizing God's word and his rules and his law is to create boundaries that then we place our kids into. And when we're disciplining them is when they're getting outside of those boundaries. And if we're inconsistent in our discipline, which is tough, it's so very tough, then what happens is those boundaries start to look like this rather than fixed positions. And, and so uh, sometimes we will discipline out of anger. And it always makes your discipline inconsistent. Whoa, why did dad react that way? Like I barely did anything. He just lost it. Like we cannot be disciplining out of anger. That it will always be inconsistent. You'll almost always be in the wrong if you're disciplining out of anger. You need to take a moment. If you blow up, if you have a fight, send the kid to their room. And I just wonder how it would benefit our households if we had follow-up conversations that went like this. Dad's saying, hey, listen, I lost it. I lost my cool. And that was not okay. That was a mistake on my end. Now, what you did was not okay. It was unacceptable. You crossed a line that we had agreed upon that we wouldn't cross. But I overreacted in that situation. How would that benefit our kids' hearts to see the consistency of discipline that doesn't give way to this emotive response when we're frustrated? You, you can't discipline because you're embarrassed one day. You can't discipline because, um, man, you know what? I, I really just, I don't want to discipline right now. It's not worth the effort to discipline right now. It's not worth the meltdown that will occur if I discipline right now. It has to be consistent. I, I, 
this is where I say like discipline is so much more often, I feel like a discipline to you, the parent. I, I, one of the most awful noises ever created by Satan himself is that noise when like the Lego bin gets just dumped upside down. (laughs) And it always happens like right after you've cleaned the basement and I can be up in my room, which is like three stories away. And I just hear this like, and I just, am like, oh, like a part of you just dies, you know? And you're like, no, what happened? And I say, hey, we just cleaned the basement and you're going to clean that up. And what's almost as bad as the noise, parents, is watching your kids clean that mess up. You're like, I could be done in five seconds if you gave me the chance. Whoosh, boom, done. And yet it takes discipline on my end to say, hey, we just cleaned the room. We're going to keep it clean. You just made it a mess. And so now you're going to clean it up. And it takes that self-control. It takes that consistency to go, and now you're going to clean it up. And you watch them pick up one Lego at a time as they put it away. You try not to lose your sanity or your salvation. (laughs) The third thing that I want to say about discipline is that it hurts. Discipline hurts. Spare the rod, spoil the child. It's a verse. It's in there. And now, but what I want to say is remember it's personal and this shifts with time. When my two-year-old is about to run into the road, she gets a flick. That's what we do. That's, that was what my dad did to me. I, got a, I would follow him to a construction site because he'd have to clean some things up after work. He was a plumber. And he'd say, Austin, you just sit here, wait for me. I need 10 minutes. And I'd throw dirt clods up in the air. One day it landed on the hood of his car, dented his car, thumped me on the nose. I, I, like, I'll never forget it, you know? Thumped me on the nose, sat me on the curb, said, you sit there until I'm done. And parents, sometimes I think we think that discipline can't hurt. Nowadays, it's like we got to remove the pain from discipline. It's like, I'm thankful my dad did that to me. In the moment, was I? No discipline seems good in the moment. That's true, but it's painful, especially when my kids are unable to process anything but pain. So I'd rather flick Haven on the head as a two-year-old and say no to the road. So that all in her mind, she goes, oh, road, ouch. Because if I don't do that, then she'll think the road is a nice place to play. And there's far worse things that can happen to her. But I also think that even though discipline should be painful, it doesn't mean that you should be spanking your high schooler. <laughs> Any high schoolers just want to chime in with an amen right there. <laughs> Once my kids reach the ability to start comprehending and me explaining to them why we don't do this, why this behavior is inconsistent, why I'm not going to let that happen, how you cross that line, then I think some of the physical pain comes off. And I start to go, listen, if you're going to lie like that, like how are your friends going to know when to trust you? And if you're going to lie like that, like the consequence is I'm, I'm taking the phone away for a little bit. And that's your right as a parent to remove something that you've given to them. And I take that away and yes, it's going to hurt, but this is why. And I start to explain to them the pain that they're in right now from not being able to text and snap their friends all the time. So it's painful. Discipline, the last one, this is maybe the most important one. So if you've tuned out for a little bit, tune back in right now. Discipline is always punitive. It is. It's a punishment. It's a consequence. It's that immediate reaction to the fact that you went outside of the boundaries that we've created. But discipline, more than it is punitive, is always restorative. You think about how God has treated you when you've stepped over the line and you've crossed the line and you've done something that is contrary to his word and to his heart. He's not just following you around with a paddle waiting to get you but he's, conv- he's gently longing to bring you back into the way that he has oriented and prioritized the world, the way the world works. 
and he's inviting you back in. He's not condemning you. He's not trying to fill you with guilt and with shame as you sit out there and deal with your punishment and your consequences now. He's trying to convict you. He says, yes, you were off. Yes, come back in. There might be consequences this side of heaven, but that is not who you are. I know that's what you did. You lied. You cheated. You went behind my back, but that is not who you are. You are a beloved son. You are a chosen daughter. So my discipline, I'm, I'm hoping in, in my my best moments as a parent, my discipline has that communication with my kids that longs to restore them to who I know that they can be. So that's discipline. The second dose of the meal is instruction. You bring them up in discipline and instruction. And so this is where I just want to say as, as bluntly as I possibly can, parents, you are the primary disciplers in your children's life. We have it so backwards in American Christianity, where we think if we can get them involved in church programs, then that will make them disciples. And it's just so detached from the reality in scripture that says, no parents, you have been entrusted with this little tiny human soul and they're not yours. Your kids aren't ultimately yours. They don't ultimately belong to you. You get to steward their little hearts. You get to steward that faith that's in them until they reach 18 and then they're going to go and do their own thing. And so our goal as parenting should be much less about policing them and about protecting them as much as it should be discipling them, training them to be prophets who proclaim the word of God, who proclaim truth in a dark time, who, who are priests, who live lives that are holy, that are consecrated, set apart from the way the rest of the world lives, that are kings, queens, more than conquerors in Christ, not not condemned by the things that they've done wrong, but invited to go back and use those things against the kingdom of darkness as they proclaim the glory and beauty and wonder of Jesus Christ. That's our role as parents. That's our privilege as parents is to get in, to invite kids in. I want to read this passage out of Deuteronomy 6, and I want you to listen as we read it to how, how personal it is. This, is. this is also known as the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And with these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. It's the first and greatest commandment that Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But then it goes on to say this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Every moment becomes a teachable moment for my kids I am their parent. Nobody else has the privilege that I do in their life. I get to be the one who says, you know, like, yes, yes, God is awesome. You know what, Harrison, the only thing, there is only one thing that God can't do. Lose. You're right, buddy. Like, isn't he awesome? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't it so sweet that he is like better than everything else? He's bigger than everything else. And so I'm instructing him. I'm captivating his little heart. Like, I'm like, man, you know what's like, you know what's awesome, Harrison? God made guacamole <laughs> and he made, made fajita, like peppers, bell peppers and onions. He made tortillas and he made cheese and he made skirt steak and praise his name when we eat fajitas. Amen, buddy? Like this is awesome. That's my privilege as a dad. I get to instruct him not so much with my words. Hear this, parents. 
far more is caught than taught. So more than I get to just tell them about the Greek meaning of that word or the cool way to pronounce that in Hebrew, which I don't even know a lot of myself. I get to look at them and I get to just show them with my life what it looks like to be a parent who is in desperate pursuit of my savior. And I get to say, hey, yeah, you need, you need to follow me, buddy. And I'm going to imperfectly execute this calling as a dad just as much as you're going to imperfectly execute this calling as a son, as a daughter. But together, our family, our hearts are going to be oriented, fixated, fixing our eyes on Jesus as he continues to make us more and more like him. That is our call as a family is to operate just like Paul said, like we said for marriage a couple weeks ago, that is these people now come together in these new unique relationships, that it shows a peculiar structure to the rest of the world. The man, like how many homes are just having uh, kids in glad submission to parents and parents being res- like restrictive in their, their uh, authority to them and disciplining them and instructing them, like actually disciplining kids, but doing it in a loving way, doing it in the right way. How rare is that in the world we live in? And culturally, you can almost always trace the fall of a culture to the fall of the home. And so as a church, can we just long to be a place, not of perfect parents, not of perfect kids, but of people who understand and embrace the new identity that we've received from Christ as we imperfectly execute now this life that we walk in. Amen? Do you stand? We're going to pray. Oh Lord, this is impossible without you. And so we just invite you to come and to flood our hearts, God. Where there's spaces that are off in us, whether it's on a parent or a kid, would you help us just own those places? Would you help us just own that behavior? Would we trust that it's the Holy Spirit doing the right work of conviction in our heart? And would that lead to a beautiful conversation with our families today? God, I pray for strong families in our church, families that are wholeheartedly in pursuit of you. Would this church family be made up of beautiful families, not perfect ones, but families that are entrusting their whole self to you. Love you, Lord. We thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.